most of our work is actually just here off the coast of Sydney, where we just um, put our wetsuit on and jump into the water and take a sample. And so discovery there is relatively easy. Lots of people are doing this, but discovery in, in, in the deep sea environment is, is technically much more challenging. And I think it's a new, nah, it's a new field of work, it's a new field of research, and, and it's very good when you see the university, the industry, nah, and, and, and working together nah, for something that's just more than, 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 than produce nah, a product, but it's, it's all about to, to make that in, in, a, in a sustainable way. So it was, it was great, and I hope that we can do that again in the future. The basic science data that we are collecting, so understanding the, the local diversity of benthic organisms, the local diversity of microorganisms, the new species, the functions and, and the interactions between these organisms and the associated microbiome. So all this knowledge is going to be extremely important for us to understand these ecosystems. When the ROV was, was arriving to the seabed at the first time, we had one screen at the bridge and one screen together with the ROV. So unfortunately, together with the ROV, you couldn't have many people. So in the end, at the bridge, we had like 10 scientists behind us, you know, looking for the first sample collections. And they were like, oh my God, it's happening. While the uh, ROV arm was slowly going to grab the sample, you know, so, and then after he, the ROV collected, they were like, yay! This, I can even, you know, feel my, my skin. Uh, uh, it, it was very nice. This was, it was very, uh, a very interesting thing to see, you know. Hello and welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Alex Conacher. And I'm Bernadette Ballantyne. In this episode, we've partnered with Fugro to look at an unusual offshore operation. It was an expedition undertaken about 150 kilometres off the coast of Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, which aimed to take samples of coral, sponges and seawater to better understand more of these diverse but fragile environments and maybe protect them. Coral reefs are sometimes called the rainforests of the oceans, and they support an estimated 25% of all marine species. But they are unusually susceptible to changes in the waters and the local microbial community. This expedition required the expertise of Brazilian scientists, supported by international experts. It required the ROV, the remotely operated vehicle, and offshore skills from Fugro Brazil, and it required their flagship vessel, the Fugro Aquarius, to be kitted out with a special laboratory to preserve the collected samples long enough for study. But first, we need to better understand these environments. And for that, we have an expert on sponges and an expert on coral. 
Corals are holobionts, uh, which means that they are the host and the associated microbiome that they rely on. And together they develop the biological processes that the organism needs to uh, survive. And uh, unbalanced relationships between corals and the associated microbiomes can generate disease, bleaching, mortality, and, and the things that we've been seeing in the world. This is Raquel Peixoto. Professor of Marine Science at the King Abdullah University of Science and Technology in Saudi Arabia. This project began while Raquel was at the Federal University of Rio de Janeiro, and that is still the leading institution, and she is still involved with the project. For example, shallow uh, coral reefs uh, have been threatened by thermal bleaching events that are caused by increased CO2 emissions in our atmosphere that actually ends up uh, creating this anomaly and this increased seawater temperature and, and, and back-to-back events that don't allow corals to recover. And because of that, they've been dying. When the temperature rises, the algae starts to produce large amounts of reactive oxygen species. Which are toxic for both the corals and the associated microbiome. So the coral expels the algae. This is a very high-level explanation of what happens, what we know that is somehow associated with coral bleaching. And when this happens, the algae leaves and with the algae, up to 90% of the energy source and the color as they have most of the pigments disappears. So the corals need to survive without the source while uh, the temperature is high. Once the temperature is back to normal, if the coral is still alive, the ecosystem can recover. But the problem is that these events can be so long or severe that the corals die before the algae can return. And this has been happening more frequently. So this is one example on how these symbiotic relationships are affected and why corals die because of that. But there are many other microorganisms living in association with both the coral and the algae that are super important for the organism's health. So other things can cause these, what we call this biotic process that is the unbalanced symbiotic relationships. The same thing can happen with increased temperatures in the deep sea. Could also cause this type of disturbance, pollutants, uh, pathogens, acidification, many different impacts can cause this type of unbalance. And our goal is to understand how these uh, Symbiotic relationships are affected by different types of stress and mechanisms for us to restore this microbiome. Uh, or That means to use the beneficial ones and, and apply them back in a way that we can retain the functional uh, organism and, 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 and improve, boost their health in a way that they can resist different impacts. Next is Torsten Thomas, a professor of marine microbiology at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. He has a special love for sponges. The reason I'm actually interested in them is because they are um, such ancient organisms. So in, in the evolution of multicellular organisms, as we go from unicellular bacteria and archaea and, and unicellular organisms to more complex um, organisms, which we call them multicellular organisms. Sponges were probably the first stage of that evolutionary process, or at least the ancestor of sponges were the first evolutionary step there. So, and, and, and very early on in this development of multicellular organisms, there was already this symbiosis being created. So bacteria 
and archaea were already starting to interact with these multicellular organisms. These symbiotic interactions work to allow for the development of increasingly complex organisms, and some persisted all the way to modern humans. As you probably know, we have many, many um, bacteria that, or microorganisms that live on our body and in our body, in our gut. And so there's a lot of similarities there in, in, in the mechanisms involved. Sponges themselves persist today and are found in most tropical and temperate marine ecosystems. Often they live on corals and sometimes on coral rubble. And they have a number of important roles. Firstly, they provide structure on the surface of the marine environments. So they uh, are basically function like nurseries for fish and, and other sort of invertebrate little creatures. Um, they also basically have the ability to take up a lot of uh, nutrients and uh, organic matter from, from the water column. So they're cleaning the water actually and taking nutrients up and basically then uh, making those nutrients available for other uh, grazing organisms uh, such as nudibranches branches or fish that actually eat the sponge then as it grows. They also have an interesting application for pharmaceutical purposes. So sponges are well known for many decades for their rich chemical diversity. So they contain a lot of interesting chemical compounds, secondary metabolites that have um, application in things like cancer treatments or um, other sort of medical applications. Just like coral, sponges are highly sensitive to changes in the marine environment. This is because they pump an enormous amount of water through their bodies. In some cases, uh, a small uh, sponge, maybe the size of the fist, uh, would filter about uh, a thousand uh, litres of water through their body every day. So that makes them quite sensitive to any kind of pollution that is actually in the water. So sponges actually have been postulated and in some cases are being used as uh, very um, sensitive bioindicators that basically can concentrate things from the water column in their body and then you can actually detect whatever pollutants you have in the sponge body. However, sponges have been dealing with this sort of situation for you know, thousands and millions of years and therefore they have actually adapted and are quite robust against any kind of environmental change. Um, so there are some studies that indicate that um, as our environment change, that sponges will potentially fare much better than corals and will be able to dominate some of those more coral-dominated um, um, ecosystems. Sponges are probably not as well studied as corals, and the diseases they develop are less well understood. But there are diseases. Torsten mentioned that sponges have seen a lot of changes in their time on the planet, but these changes have typically happened very slowly. How well sponges can cope with rapid environmental changes is being studied. And I still think that probably sponges are quite well equipped for those changes, but probably there's also a threshold where change is, is so dramatic and so, so, so severe that they won't be able to cope with it. The team wanted to investigate the microbiome associated with corals and sponges, both shallow and deep sea, to understand the interactions and beneficial functions. If they could manipulate the bacteria from different regions and different species, it may be possible to produce a probiotic cocktail and help troubled ecosystems to recover. But before the team could embark on the mission to cure the world's coral, the samples needed to be collected. And that meant offshore deep water operations.
My name is Yasmin Sodre. I I'm an uh, industrial engineer. I have an MBA in the oil and gas and energy transition from a Brazilian uh, Federal University. I work here in Fogo Brazil at the commercial department as a proposal coordinator. Yasmin works to accurately predict the cost, size and duration of Fugro's future projects in Brazil to ensure their successful execution. But this project was different from the normal work of site characterization and asset maintenance monitoring. It was a Brazilian university project, although it was in fact sponsored by Shell Brazil Technology. So Shell, they have a research and development program where they actively look for relevant researchers to invest. The project had faced many challenges in the past related to the offshore expedition. This time, stars and project schedules all aligned and Fugro Brazil's flagship Aquarius vessel put out to sea. This is an 83 metre long vessel with a deck area of 520 square metres and accommodation for 60 people. It has two ROVs that can operate in water depths down to 3,000 metres it bristles with winches, communications, a helipad. And, unusually, it puts out to sea with Yasmin on board. Oh, yeah. my God, this was a, quite an experience, right? So I was, I wanted to go, but I was, was also uh, asked by my direct and direct manager and also the, the country manager. Uh, they, they saw my interest because I, this, this project was very special to Fugu, you know, as a company. Uh, we know that uh, this will help the scientific community to, to conserve deep sea reefs and uh, around the globe. Yasmin says that the project clearly aligns with all of the ongoing work elsewhere in the world for the decade of ocean science. So the company was excited, but also... In addition to that, the project was very dear to me personally because I was involved uh, in all phases of that. And uh, also, uh, I actually think that I'm from a generation that wants to do meaningful things, you know, to the to the world. So uh, when this opportunity came out, I said, no, I, I'm in, you know, I, I have to go. I, I, I want to do commercial and go offshore and do the after after project and, and be there for all the phases. The vessel had an unusually large contingent of scientists. And so it was also an unusually diverse mix of people for an offshore operation. So on our side, we had like a very dedicated and specialized vessel crew to support the operations. Uh, we had like the ROV team, the deck team, the engine, marine, everybody was like 100% focused to, to make everything necessary for the researchers in order for their project to be successful. And on the land side, on the laboratory side, we had uh, 15 researchers and they were like from six different universities. I think if I'm not mistaken, it was like six males and nine females. That's not usual at all. LEM stands for the university laboratory responsible for leading the research in Portuguese, Laboratorio de Ecologica Molecular Microbiana. Yasmin's role was to support the project manager and the offshore manager, working as the interface between her company and the scientists. Basically, the project was focused to, co to collect corals, sponges, water, and sediments, okay? These samples, they were collected uh, around 600 to 800 water depth and around 100 kilometers from the coast. 
they had to prepare the vessel for the expedition in just three days. And so we basically had to transform the food aquarius into a, like a floating, floating scientific, science facility. So we had to uh, install biobox beneath the frame of the ROV, the, the robot that does the, the, the remote operations uh, on the seabed. Uh, so we had to install these bio boxes beneath the, the frame to, to do the samples recovery. We also had to install an environmental laboratory to conduct several experiments. We have to install also a code unit for the storage of the live species. We had like around 28 aquariums installed in this uh, code unit. They also had to install 12,000 litres of tanks on the deck to maintain the samples at constant conditions, otherwise they might degrade before getting to the permanent laboratories of the Rio Aquarium, which were purpose-built for the project. And this was like deep water sample. We put it like a pipe to collect the water from the deep sea, not from the surface. Yeah, so this was basically to keep the collected samples at the same type of atmosphere they would be as they were there, you know. So that was also something very uh, unusual that they did on board. All in all, the expedition lasted 10 days in August 2021, performed more than 100 ROV dive hours and collected more than 150 samples, far more than the scientists hoped for. So at the first day of the mob, I asked one of the researchers, uh, how many samples you're going to be happy, you know, if you, if you collect during this, this expedition? And I think he said, oh, I think 15, 15 will be enough, you know, 15 will make me very, very glad. And uh, so in the end, we collected more than 150 samples. So oh. this was, was like a... In the end, they had like, their eyes were shining, you know, so they, they had a lot of, of uh, it was very successful, that's why. And uh, we didn't have any uh, weather uh, problems, even though we scheduled some of weather problems. So I couldn't, we couldn't be more happy, you know, about the success of that. But something must have gone wrong, some tense moment. the experiment, as I told you, was to collect the sediments from the, the, the seabed. So we had like a soil grabber and we used to, to throw the soil grabber until the seabed through our winch from the vessel, right? So at some point the winch kind of was not working properly, so we could not launch the, this soil grabber. And this could maybe uh, reflecting us not concluding all the experiments, right? So we started engaging with the crew, the food requires crew to find a, a solution for that. And they tried several things. And then in the end, one of our crew members built like a, a soil grabber in an ROV size. So the ROV went down and collected the sample, you know. So it, it, this was done like in, in six hours, you know, that the, the crew member had this idea and, and thank God he, he solved the, the, the issue and they could collect their, their sample. So this was very interesting. The most challenging aspect of the entire expedition from a technical perspective was the pre-mobilization 
This is according to Fugro's senior project manager, Dermaville Almeida. So we had, we had uh, uh, technical people from the Fugro side uh, helping the scientists, speaking with the scientists in a daily basis uh, and what was needed, how to adapt. For example, you need to install a, a, a lab container. So we're helping them go into the company that was producing the, the, the lab containers. Assuring that the connectors were all being built precisely to specification. And that you had all the HOC uh, 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 devices and equipments and, uh, uh, that we would need uh, when that system got on board. We had people discussing about those tools. Uh, we had meetings with the, with the, the, the tool manufacturer uh, to be sure that we passed to them the, 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 the AOV dimensions and all that. So when the tools arrive on board, they fit. A three-day mobilization does not lend itself to last-minute changes due to earlier mistakes in planning. You don't want to have a lab getting on board and discover that he used a different uh, uh, power plug or a different uh, power supply that you don't have on board. And then uh, that would, would create a, a very big uh, uh, problem uh, just, on the, uh, just on the beginning of the, of the work. So we, we, we managed that because we could work so well together on, on this. We planned a three days mob and, and we did in a two and a half days and with no issues, you know, very smoothly, you know, so without any last minute hurry, like, oh my God, this, this went wrong. We didn't have anything like that. So yeah, that was a result of this preparation. Then the operation as a consequence was also a a very good operation because everything was uh, was well planned, well fitted, the position on the deck, the setup, everything. So the key the key thing for me was that there's all this conversation and all this 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 work uh, before the mob. That was what made a difference. Another unusual feature of the project was the need for real-time video contact with Raquel and Torsten, who could not be on board the Fugro Aquarius. Fortunately, remote operations are not unusual in the offshore sector, and the technology and the experience was there, which allowed them to watch the sample collection in real time. The expedition has been over for half a year, but it's already causing excitement in the scientific community. Here's Raquel. We already have some very cool results uh, from this expedition uh, with Fugro. We already know that uh, there is a very interesting microbiome associated with these corals. We already know that we isolated several potential new uh, bacterial species, even uh, macro species, uh, it looks like. Torsten is still in the process of examining nine of the sponges, some of which appear to be completely new species. There is still a lot to explore in the deep ocean but we are also uh, trying to understand how the microbiome responds to different abiotic conditions in this ecosystem. We already know from the first experiments that it looks like um, the recovery is accelerated, the recovery of these corals is accelerated by the inoculation of probiotics. So we already know uh, a few things. We already have some preliminary uh, results, but we should be able to report uh, the first key results by November this year. As for Torsten, this was my first deep sea expedition, and um, just seeing the the images of of that 
particular environments and, and, and getting a feel for that ecosystem. Um, you know, you can read up about such an ecosystem um, and you can study it theoretically, but, but just having that footage there and, and getting a feel for that ecosystem, I think was quite important. You know, we were very fortunate with the entire expedition as it developed, the weather conditions were ideal, the, the team was working really, really well. So we, we got lots and lots of samples and we, we only really have scratched the surface of of, of the samples that we took. Um, we have freezers full with, with samples, so it's going to be years and if not even decades of, of, of studying that we can do. And what we found so far is all very exciting. It's, it's, it's sort of maybe some of the work really supports our hypothesis that, that those microbes uh, that are living on corals and sponges are quite important. They have, you know, the ability, for example, to fix CO2 and bring therefore carbon and, and energy in, into this ecosystem. So I think we have this hypothesis holding through, but, you know, we still have a lot of details to, to work out there and a lot of new discoveries to make. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited about all of this and I, I look forward to, to continue analyzing the data and hopefully, hopefully have the ability to um, go back um, soon again and, and, and do some more work and more some more sampling down there. Um, there's certainly um, very interesting um, environments that need to be studied, I think, in, in, in greater detail. I think one thing that was very important and unique about this uh, expedition is that we really worked together with the FUBU team to develop the best possible laboratory on the ship as well. So on top of collecting these animals using very, I mean, cutting edge technologies and keeping these corals and organisms alive on the boat, we also managed to isolate bacteria on board. So this makes a lot of difference when you compare uh, bringing these samples to, back to the lab and then starting the process of culturing these bacteria. So we can say that we had fresh samples and some bacteria that would be gone by the time uh, we get back to the lab were still viable. So we think that that made a huge difference on time on, on terms of the diversity that we've managed to isolate, to culture from this uh, expedition. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and hosted by me, Alex Conacher. My co-host was Bernadette Ballantyne. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. Series supervision by John Young. And our own holobiont is Rory Harris. Special thanks to our episode partner, Fugro. Thank you for listening. You can find Engineering Matters on all podcast apps, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on LinkedIn. And don't forget to check out our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media and sign up for our newsletter for the latest engineering announcements and developments from around the world.